You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. As we begin our study of sexuality and the gospel, I want us to look at this topic with very specific glasses. We all have glasses through which we view life. We view life through the lens of our education, our experiences, our feelings, philosophies of life. But as Christians, God has called us to view life through a very specific set of glasses. These glasses, as most glasses do, have two lenses. One lens is scripture, and the other lens is the gospel. These are the glasses through which we are to view our life. We are to view human sexuality. So I want to begin with these glasses. I want to lay a foundation of what we believe about scripture, what we believe about the gospel, and then we'll get to the topic at hand today. So in our statement of faith at Antioch, we say this, we believe that the 66 books of the Old and New Testament as originally written were God breathed both verbally and in every part. We believe God, who is truth, communicated through spirit-controlled men so that the scriptures are without error and therefore, listen to this next phrase, authoritative in all they teach and in all matters that they touch. So when we think about our church, when we think about Antioch, when we think about our lives, what we're saying is we submit ourselves to the authority of God's word. That our lives are governed not by how we feel, not by the culture, not by some good Christian author, pastor, book, right? That our Lives and our church are governed by the authoritative word of God because it's authoritative in all they teach and in all matters that they touch. So I want you to notice that word authoritative first. So we submit ourselves to the word of God. The second part of our statement of faith says we believe that the Bible is the supreme revelation of God's will for man and constitutes the only, and this is another word I want you to remember, infallible guide for faith and life. That word infallible means not able to be wrong. So as the Bible is our authoritative governor of our lives, our Bible guides our faith and life Here's the idea with infallible. It's not going to lead us down the wrong path. 
It is incapable. That's what we're saying by infallible guide is it's incapable of doing that. If I take the Bible and I live my life under its authority and I follow its authority in my life, it is incapable of leading me down a path that I get to the end of it and think, ah, I wish I hadn't followed that, right? It's incapable of doing that. Here's how the psalmist puts it. In Psalms chapter 19, verses 7 through 11, he's going to use different words for the word of God or scripture, the Bible, but listen to what he says about the word. Psalm 19, 7 through 11, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, By them, by the word of God, is your servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. This is the lens through which we see life, this word of God. So we submit ourselves to this authoritative, infallible word of God. That's the first lens. The other lens in our glasses is the lens of the gospel. This word gospel is in the Bible, good news. We would say the gospel is the good news of the Bible. What's the good news about? Well, let me just use an acrostic as a way to help us sort of see what the good news is all about. We begin with the letter G and that begins where the Bible begins. And we're gonna get there in just a minute, but it begins with God. God created a perfect world in Genesis chapter one and two. This was the way he designed the world to work in Genesis one to two. And in that perfect world, man and woman, male and female interacted with God in a perfect way. Like wherever they were, God was, and they would walk around in the garden together. There was a sense of relationship there, right? And it was perfect. Everything was just right. There was no sickness There was no death, there was no struggles, there was no sin. God and man were living in perfect relationship. Then we come to O of the gospel and that is our sin. What we find in Genesis chapter three is that sin enters the world. Adam and Eve choose to eat of a fruit of the tree that God said not to eat of. And at that moment, sin entered the world and the world became a broken place because of sin. Sin is anything that I think, say, or do that does not line up with God's standard. And because of our sin, it caused this this infection of everyone who was born since Adam and Eve. Romans 5.12 says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death has spread to all men. So sin affects how we think and feel and do. Sin affects every area of our life. 
Psalms 51 and verse 5, David says, In sin did my mother conceive me. So there was no sickness, now there is. There was no death, now there is. There was no struggles, now there is. Here's how Wayne Grudem puts it in his book, Bible Doctrine. He says, in our natures, we totally lack spiritual good before God. It is not just that some parts of us are sinful and other parts are pure. Rather, every part of our being is affected by sin. Our intellects, our emotions, our desires, our hearts, our goals, our motives, even our physical bodies. Paul says in Romans 7, 18, I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. This sin has affected all of our lives and it leads us to the S of the gospel and that is separation. Because sin has affected every area of our life, sin separates us from God. The one we were created for and created to be with. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. That idea is not just physical death, although death physically is a result of sin. The heart of that death in Romans 6.23 is a spiritual death, a separation from God. So here we are, stuck in a world, broken by sin, destined to be separated from our creator because of our sin. This is bad news, right? I thought we were talking about good news of the gospel. Well, the good news comes in the letter P of the gospel provision. God fixes the sin problem through Jesus. God sees sin and knows that we are incapable because we've been infected by sin, that we are incapable of doing anything about it. So he sends his son, Jesus. And Jesus doesn't get infected with sin because he's virgin born. That's the importance of the virgin birth is that Jesus doesn't get infected with sin. So Jesus lives the perfect life that we could not live because of our sins. Therefore, he can stand before God and offer his life in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake, Jesus or God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus fixes the problem of sin that separates us from God through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He provides a way for us to be right with God, which leads us to the E in gospel. He gives us then eternal life through Jesus. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he provided, sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, puts their trust in him, will have what? Everlasting life, eternal life. Romans 6.23 says, yes, the wages of sin are death, this separation from God. But thankfully, that's not where the verse ends, right? The verse goes on and says, for I I just lost it. It'll come back. Let me think through it. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
We know that this is not all that she wrote. We have a future home in heaven secured for us through Christ where we will return to the perfect world that God has created. This is eternal life. But here's where I think many times we end with the gospel is eternal life. Good. My future is secure. Now I can go live my life how I want to live my life because I've got fire insurance. I've got, I've got you know, life insurance that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. But that's not where the gospel ends. The gospel also is about L, life transformation. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 says that we are, are, we are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God has given us a new heart. And so now these things that we thought and felt and did because of our old sin now are gone. And now we have new desires. We think differently. We feel differently. We act differently because now we're under new ownership. We have new power in Christ. Yes, we still live in a world that is full of the presence of sin But our lives have been transformed because now we don't sit under the power of sin anymore because of Jesus. It's been broken. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We can now have a transformed life because God's divine power is in us through the person of Jesus Christ. Now our desires are different. The way we think is different. The way we act is different. Yes, as we're longing for the the not yet, the day that we'll have eternal life with Christ forever in the, the already, in the right now, our lives have been transformed. So my question for you today, before we even get to sexuality, is do you have a right relationship with God through Jesus? Do you understand the good news of the gospel? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Dale Johnson, he's a a counselor and, and leader of an organization known as ACBC. He says this, what we describe to be the ultimate problem in people leads to what we believe the ultimate solution will be. Let me say that again, and then I want to bring it down to what we're talking about. What we describe to be the ultimate problem in people leads to what we believe the ultimate solution will be. Here's the danger of a series like sexuality, is that you begin to think, we begin to think, if we fix the problem of the world thinking there's more than two genders... Or marriage is not just limited to one man and one woman for life, then we're good to go. So if our ultimate problem becomes sexuality and you fix their view of sexuality, then everything's good. But this is not what the Bible teaches. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our ultimate problem is our sin separates us from God. And our ultimate solution is that Jesus has made a way for us to be right with God. 
John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's why in Galatians chapter 3, as Paul is talking to this church at Galatia and thinking through the implications of the gospel, he says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. And it's interesting, listen. He says, there's no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So is Paul saying in Galatians 3.28, like let's do away with Jew Greek. Let's do away with employer employee. Let's do away with even our gender. Let's do away with male and female. No, here's what Paul is saying. Paul is not discrediting these distinctions. Instead, he is saying what brings us together, even in our diversity, male, femaleness, Jew, Gentile, Greek, employer, employee, what brings us together is Jesus. He's not trying to get rid of our distinctions and our differences He's saying the beauty of the gospel is that it brings us together even in our diversity, even in our differences. So I would say the most important thing about you is what you believe about Jesus. Like if if we're going to talk, let's start there. If we're going to talk about your sexuality. Let's start with what you believe about Jesus, because I believe that is the most important thing about you. So here, here's how we come to the series today. And this, over this five week span, we come with our glasses on one lens, the word of God, and another lens, the gospel. We look at our human sexuality through these lenses. We look at it through, you could say it this way, through truth and grace. The word, truth, the gospel, grace. That's how we come to marriage and sexuality. So here is our church's statement of faith on marriage and sexuality. This is going to guide our topics over the next several weeks. I'm going to read through it. So buckle up. It's four or five slides long. So it's going to take a minute. I'll break it down to how we're going to work through it. And then we'll get to the topic at hand today. Here's what we believe based off the authority of God's word and the gospel. Here's what we believe. We believe that God wonderfully and immutably creates each person as male or female. These two distinct complementary sexes together reflect the image and nature of God. Rejection of one's biological sex is a rejection of the image of God within that person. We believe the term marriage has only one meaning, the uniting of one man and one woman in a single exclusive union as delineated in scripture. We believe that marriage between one man and one woman for life uniquely reflects Christ's relationship with his church. 
We believe that God intends sexual intimacy to occur only between a man and a woman who are married to each other. We believe that God has commanded that no intimate sexual activity be engaged in outside of marriage between a man and a woman. We believe that any form of sexual immorality, including adultery, fornication, homosexual behavior, bisexual conduct, bestiality, incest, or use of pornography is sinful and offensive to God. We believe that in order to preserve the function and integrity of Antioch as the local body of Christ and to provide a biblical role model to Antioch members and the community, it is imperative that all persons employed by Antioch in any capacity or who serve as volunteers agree to and abide by this statement on marriage, gender, and sexuality. We believe God offers redemption and restoration. That's the gospel to all who confess and forsake their sin, seeking his mercy and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. We believe that every person must be afforded compassion, love, kindness, respect, and dignity. Hateful and harassing behavior or attitudes directed toward any individual are to be repudiated and are not in accord with scripture nor the doctrines of Antioch. And then we list out the scripture and we're gonna hit all of these over the next several weeks. So here's how we're gonna break down this long statement (laughs) that we have put together on marriage and sexuality. This week, we are going to talk about God's grand design. And I'm not going to read it again. We're going to look at the first three sentences in our statement of faith. Then next week, we will go to God's grand plan. And we'll look at this idea of marriage. Then week three, we get a break, all right? It's April the 30th, and that'll be our church's 60th anniversary. So we can take a little bit of a breath, all right, and just come together and enjoy God's faithfulness to our church. Put a little plug for our 60th right here. Make sure you sign up. Yeah, so you clap. That's good. Yeah. Um, make sure you sign up for that. This, uh, we've got about 800 people already signed up, which is exciting. I don't know how it's going to happen at 10 a.m., but we're going to figure it out all at one service. It'll be an exciting time. But what we really need you to sign up for is food. So make sure you get signed up by this Monday so we can get the food ordered because we're going to do the old church dinner on the grounds. It's going to be fun together. So 60th anniversary, we'll do that. Then we come back on April or May the 7th, and then we talk about man's grand fall. And we'll talk through this idea of distorted desires and how that came about because of the fall of man. Then week four is Mother's Day, May the 14th, just FYI. And here's, here's what I decided to name this, God's grand gift. Oh, can I get an awe for that? Come on. Like moms, I, I was thinking about you. We'll talk about mothers on that day and how grateful we are for mothers, um, but God's grand gift staying with the theme. And then the last week, week five, we will talk about God's grand redemption. And we'll look at this last part of our statement of faith. So this is our path that we're moving forward over the next several weeks, looking forward to having you be a part of it as we look through the lens of God's word and the gospel at this idea of sexuality. Our study of human sexuality and the gospel must begin where the Bible begins. So go with me to Genesis chapter one. It is the first book 
of the Bible. Um, so if you are, have a physical copy, it's right there in the first few pages. If you are using an app, it should be at the top of the search when you go uh, to the uh, books of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. This lays the foundation for the rest of the Bible. These five words. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. I want you to notice three things. In the beginning. The world that we live in had a starting time. Our world has not always been. Because Moses, as God is inspiring him to write the story of creation, begins with in the beginning. We also know that this world has an ending day. If you go to the book of Revelation, you find that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. So we live in a created world that had a starting time. So it says in the beginning, then I want you to notice the next word. God. We are introduced to the one who created the world we live in, God. This implies that God was not created, therefore he is eternal. He has always been and he will always be. We can literally say of God, it is his world, we just live in it, right? Because in the beginning, God, what? Created. God is the one who created everything. Psalms 33 and verse 6 says, The heavens were made by the word of the Lord and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. John 1 in verse 3 says, All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what was seen was not made out of things that are visible. In the beginning, God created. This is where all of mankind started with God as our creator. So as we consider things like gender and marriage and desires, we must start in the beginning before the world was corrupted by sin as we just mentioned in the gospel. So why would we start in the beginning other than this is where the Bible starts? Well, if you study the Bible, you come to this account of Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus is having a discussion with the Pharisees, religious people of the day about marriage and divorce. And they're asking Jesus, is it lawful to divorce for any reason? Like, so it, just because she burnt the toast this morning that you can divorce her, right? Like, is, can I just divorce my, my spouse, my wife for any reason? And listen to how Jesus responds. I mean, this is God. This is Jesus. He could just say, well, no, right? But this is what he responds with in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So as he's defending marriage, Jesus points back to the creation account. He goes, guys, don't you remember how God made you? Male and female. It's interesting because he doesn't point 
to polygamists in the Bible. He doesn't point to guys like David and Solomon and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who had multiple wives. He doesn't point to them and say, that's your example. Don't you know David? No, he goes all the way back before sin entered the world. And he says, don't you remember what the word says that I created them from the beginning, male and female? He is wanting them to return to consider God's original design for how the world worked. And we see the way that God intended the world to work in Genesis chapter one and verse two. So there's Jesus going back to the beginning. Paul does the same thing. In 1 Timothy chapter two, verses 12 through 14, and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses three through 10, Paul is talking about the church and how life works within the church. And Paul goes back to the creation of Adam and Eve to say, you saw it in creation, you see it in the word. This is how the world should work. Genesis one and two is the North star by which we should look at this life. Genesis one and two are like a straight line marked out by a chalk line in construction that acts like a plumb line. And here's the deal, the farther we get away from the chalk line of Genesis one and two, the more out of alignment the world will become. Because Genesis one and two is the way that God designed the world to work. So here's what we say in our statement of faith under this idea, God's grand design. We believe that God wonderfully and immutably creates each person as male or female. These two distinct complementary sexes together reflect the image and nature of God. The rejection of one's biological sex is a rejection of the image of God within that person. So as you read through Genesis chapter one, what you find is this rhythm, this, this rhythmic feel to it. As you begin, it says, in the beginning, the heavens, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning. It was the first day. And then God says, let there be an expanse. And it was so. And so you find this rhythm as you go through each day of creation that God says, let there be, and it was so. So day one, let there be light and dark, and it was so. Day two, let there be sea and sky, and it was so. Day three, let it be a fertile earth, and it was so. Day four, let the sun and the moon and the stars be there, and it was so. Day five, he created fish and birds. He said, let there be, and it was so. Day six, the first part of day six, as he's creating land animals, he says, let there be, and it was so. So there's this rhythm of let it, let there be, let it be, and then it was so. But then you come to the creation of man, and look at how the wording changes Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us, hear the difference? There's been this, let there be just sort of an impersonal, like let there be and it was so, let there be and it was so. Now all of a sudden it goes from being in the third person to in the first person. It goes from being impersonal to now this is personal. 
He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, the first poem in scripture. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. When you come to the last thing that God creates, the rhythm changes. Now it is let us make man in our image. See, God has been making things according to its kind. In the account of creation, he changes it to according to his kind, according to his image. As he's created the first six days, he's created things. He hasn't delineated between male and female. But when he gets to day six and he is creating man and woman, he differentiates between male and female. He has not told anybody in creation that they can have dominion over creation to this point. But then when he gets to man, he says, you now have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth. He gives man dominion. The high point of creation is the creation of mankind, both male and female. That's what he's doing here. He's differentiating for us to see that making man and woman, male and female, is a really big deal. They're set apart from creation. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. Being made in the image of God means that we are made to represent God. We are made to relate to God and we are even made to rule on behalf of God. Our value and worth comes from our creator. We are made in the very image of God. Therefore, every part of us has value from our mind to our heart and even down to our bodies. All of us is created in are created in the image of God. Psalms 24 in verse one says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. We belong to God and because we belong to God, our greatest delight will come from being who he made us to be, whether male or female. God's grand design is to make us male and female. How does this happen? Well, go to Genesis chapter two. And in Genesis chapter two, in verses 18 through 23, we'll get to 24 and 25 next week. But in verses 18 through 23, Moses gives us insight to how the making of man and the making of woman, the making of male and female went. Verse 18, it says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man shall be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. The idea of a helper fit for him is distinct, different than him, 
yet complementary to him. Different, a helper fit for him. It's, it's going to be someone different than Adam, but it will be complementary to Adam. Now, he says in verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heaven, and he brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man, this is Adam, called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to all, to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a distinct yet complementary fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. At this moment, God divides the human race into two genders, male and female, man and woman. This is God's grand design for how life should work in the world that he created. Men and women are different. Our differences extend to the deepest levels of our being our chromosomes, our brains, our voices, our body shapes, our body strengths, and even our reproductive systems. All of these differences point to a grand designer. Now the argument could be made, well, that's pre-fall, right? Yes, that's how God designed the world to work, but we don't live in a pre-fall world. Because Genesis 3 happened, we live in a fallen world. Therefore, maybe the plan is not male and female, man and woman. Maybe that was just a pre-fall world. One day we'll get back there, but we can do sort of what we want now. But as you study scripture, what you find is they never move away from these two genders, male and female, man and woman. Even in Genesis chapter 5, after the fall, and they're putting together the genealogy of Adam... It says this in Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This book of the generations of Adam, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. So even after the fall, as they're beginning to write down the genealogies, they're making sure that they understand that there was two genders, male and female. In Matthew chapter 19, when Jesus is here on earth and he's talking with these religious people, this would have been a perfect opportunity for him to not bring up the idea of, have you not heard that originally designed it male? This would have been a perfect opportunity to sort of push that aside and say, that's not really this bit, that big of a deal. Marriage is not that big of a deal. Gender is not that big of a deal. Let's just move on, right? But in this moment, in Matthew chapter 19, what does Jesus do? He goes back and he says, haven't you heard that he who created them, created them male and female? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 11 and 12, Paul brings up this idea of Adam and Eve and man and woman. He says this, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of the man nor man of the woman. For as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are made from 
God. We believe that God wonderfully and immutably creates each person as male or female. And these two distinct yet complementary sexes together reflect the image and the nature of God. But we also say this, rejection of one's biological sex is a rejection of the image of God within that person. When we reject who God made us to be, we are saying to God, we know better than you. That you messed up when you made me, male or female. And, and here's, here's what I want you to know. Some of you in the room today may be struggling with that. You may be struggling with the gender that God made you to be. And I, I, I don't want to ignore that, but I, I want you to hear the words of Psalms 139, verses 13 and 17. This is what God believes about you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. Listen to verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. As God was forming you and creating you in your mother's wombs, he wasn't making a mistake. You are fearfully and wonderfully made male or female. Verse 16, you saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, and how vast is the sum of them. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, male or female, because you were made in the image of God. And even if you don't feel male or female, you're still wonderfully made in the image of God as male or female. Why do we not believe this truth that God made us this way? Well, Romans gives us a clear understanding of that. In Romans 1, 21 through 25, it says this, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Although they knew him as creator, they didn't honor him as creator. And they didn't give thanks to him for the way that he made them. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy, creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up Listen, to the lust of their hearts to impurity and not only their hearts, to the dishonoring of their bodies, male and female, among themselves. Why did he do this? Because, 
They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served, listen, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Rather than worshiping the God who made them, they worship themselves and in doing this, they reject who and what God has made them to be. Let me try to help you see what I'm trying to say today with these two canvases. These are two of similar canvases here that you would paint on. But one of these, this one, has a grand designer. It has been meticulously painted. Every stroke of the paintbrush was by design, even down to the initials of my family being in the picture. So if you look really close, you can see every one of my family's initials in this painting. And it wasn't painted by me, by the way. I'm not that artistic, right? But this is a a one of a kind painting. It has a grand designer. So every time I approach this picture, I'm looking for what it was designed for. I'm looking to see the grand designer in it and what he was after in his drawing and painting of this beautiful picture. The other canvas over here is a blank canvas. There's no specific design. In fact, you can design on that canvas whatever you want to be. A paintbrush hasn't touched it. It's neutral. You just go for it and you paint what you want to paint. Here's the deal. We live in a world that is telling us when it comes to our human sexuality that we are a blank canvas. You choose what you want to be, right? You're a blank canvas. You choose what you want to be. If you started painting the picture one way and you don't like that, get some soap, get some water, rub it off and start over, right? So we see things in the news like puberty blockers for our kids so that they can determine what they want to be when it comes to male or female, man or women. That's us starting with a blank canvas and saying, let's go for it, whatever we want to be. Whereas what we have seen from scripture today is that you're not a blank canvas. In fact, you are so valuable that the grand designer God has made you wonderfully and immutably male or female. And your and my responsibility is to come to this life and be all that he has designed us to be. To be who he has created us to be in our maleness and in our femaleness. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word. Lord, I'm I'm so grateful that you designed the world to 
to work in a specific way. And that you've made it clear in your word how that world works when it comes to our sexuality. And Lord, when I see the blank canvas, what I think of is Genesis chapter three, when the serpent comes to Eve and says, did God really say you can't eat of that fruit? Lord, we live in a culture that is coming to our kids and to our students and our workplaces and in our TV shows and saying, did God really say male or female? So Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the world the way you designed it to be. Help us to push into who you have made us to be, whether man or woman, male or female. Help us to be all that you have created us to be. And Lord, for those in this room that are struggling with that, whose hearts are at turmoil, may you remind them of the good news of the gospel, that Jesus, you have come And you have made a way to not just give them eternal life, but life transforming today. That their hearts and their desires and their actions can line up with the things that you say in your word because you can give them a new heart. So I pray that you would comfort them with the hope of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.